You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 686 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Saturday evening. And I'm sure a lot of you didn't hear didn't hear or watch or listen or anything to the game. Maybe you followed it on Twitter or something like that. I'm, I know that some of you did watch, and uh, credit to you for making it all the way through that one if you did. But the Atlanta Hawks lost by a final score of 116-81 to in Chicago. If you heard the podcast last night or you followed me on Twitter or anything like, anything like that, you would know that Trey Young missed this game. The Hawks were also without Jabari Parker, so two of their, you know, top five offensive players probably, and clearly their number one offensive player with Trey Young. So you would expect the offense to struggle in this game, and it certainly did, but it was worse than you might have even imagined it being. And uh, after what was uh, eventually a 35-point loss, I will say it wasn't quite that bad. It was a blowout, but the fourth quarter was garbage time, and it was probably more like a 20-point loss instead of a 35-point loss, but still um, pretty awful in a lot of respects, and now the Hawks have lost 10 games in a row. They have lost 21 of their last 23 games, and uh, pretty brutal in that respect. The Hawks entered entered this game as 9.5-point underdogs against the Bulls. Uh, for reference, uh, someone in, I can't remember now actually who it was, so my apologies, but some, someone in the Chicago media pointed this out uh, originally on Twitter, but the Bulls had not been favored by at least nine points as they were in this game since April 12, 2017, a span of 196 games. So uh, the Bulls are not usually favored this, by this much. And um, yeah, there was a reason why they were, because the Hawks were not equipped to play with the Bulls in this spot. Because, I mean, in addition to everything else with Young being out, with Parker being out, etc., the Hawks were also on second night of a back-to-back with travel, whereas the Bulls had not played a game since Monday. They were on... About as long of a rest as you will ever see in the NBA, aside from the trade uh, from the All Star break, uh, a team not playing from Monday until Saturday is—it's not unprecedented, but it's certainly—it's it, never going to happen more than once in a season to have four full days off in between games. So they were obviously well rested in this game. They came out firing, and the Hawks did not. Um, at the top, we'll talk about what, what transpired here, as we always do on the podcast. Um, the Hawks actually scored the first four points. They started Cam Reddish in place of, of Trey Young, which was what I actually guess would happen. Um, they've been leading more on Reddish. I would have liked to see more more Brandon Goodwin in this game. He did he did play, but basically not until the game was almost over in the second half. Um, they went with the Herder Reddish. Hunter trio on, on the perimeter. Reddish was not the problem in that spot. Spoiler alert: both Hunter and Herder were very bad in this game. But um, a 14-0 run by the Bulls after the Hawks scored the first four points of the game, and from that point forward, Chicago never trailed. Again, um, they that 14-0 you know, sort of set the tone for the rest of the game. There was a timeout there from the Hawks after they didn't score for almost, almost three minutes. They did, they did actually got a, a leak-out dunk by Reddish to stop the bleeding. But at that point in time, it was uh, pretty much, you know, <laughs> the writing was on the wall, I would say. Uh, I was not over at that point because it's only down by 10 at 14-4, but uh, the tone was set. Um, Alex Len did come in quickly um, for Bruno Fernando, who was terrible in this game. And uh, Len did stabilize things, scoring, scoring seven points in a short period of time. But the Bulls had a 25-5 to overall run to go up by 16 points. There was an 8-0 run, probably the best stretch of the night for Atlanta, to stabilize a little bit, get it back down to eight single digits. Um, but even after that, they ran some bizarre post-up stuff for Evan Turner that did not work. I'm not sure that was if that was by design or if Evan just kind of took over a little bit, but that did not work at all. They also used a lineup that had Bembry and Turner together, which is my uh, pet peeve for never, ever going to work on offense. And yeah, the first quarter... 
other than Kobe White for the Bulls, the lottery pick rookie guard who really was awful in the first quarter, he was the only guy that kind of kept the Hawks in the game. It was him and Alex Lynn uh, and sort of um, competing forces. But other than that, the Hawks were pretty bad early on. Um, they had really bad interior defense in the first quarter. The Bulls shot seven, uh, 70% from the floor in the first quarter, but they had eight turnovers to kind of let the Hawks hang around a little bit. But the offense was really bad for Atlanta, and that continued throughout the game. I will say, and I neglected to say this already, but John Collins was very good in this game. He was, along with Alex Lynn, those two, those two were the guys that I thought actually played well. And Collins was in a different stratosphere. He had 34 points, by the way. We'll, we'll talk about him individually later on in the podcast, but he was uh, close to his career high. He played great. And uh, after a pretty, pretty quiet first quarter, we only had two points. Collins had 30 points combined in the second and the third quarters. So that kind of tells you what he was able to do in the middle of the portion of the game. Unfortunately, he had very, very little help in this spot. But John was uh, very, very good in this game. Uh, a 9-0 run by the Bulls to go up by a 20-point margin, middle of the second quarter. Um, pretty, pretty much getting nothing from anybody except for Collins. Collins came out of that out of a timeout there with six straight points on his own. He had 14 points in the first nine minutes of the second quarter to, I guess, was kind of just attempt to keep the Hawks in this game. But the Bulls out of a timeout of their own, scored seven straight points to go back up by 21. It was a 21-point game at the halftime break. The defense was very bad, particularly in transition in the first half. And the offense, aside from Collins and Len, uh, Collins and Len had 25 points combined in the first half, and the rest of the, the, rest of the team had 18 combined. Um, pretty pretty rough there in a lot of respects. After halftime, you know, down 21 at the break without Trey Young, the win percentage there is very very low, obviously. And uh, in a in a short period of time, it was pretty much over. Um, Fernando started again, um, and I will say, you know, Bruno did end up playing a little bit more. Very, very late, but um, it felt like if the game was going to be competitive, he was going to get the old Keith Bogans, as Nate Duncan and Daniel Daniel Rue like to say. Um, Bruno played four minutes in his first stint and never came back in the first half, then played two minutes and two seconds in the second and the third quarter, and then was probably going to come out and never come back in if the Hawks made a run. Um, and that was justified. I'm not sure. I mean, I, I would guess that starting Bruno is a development-focused thing, um, but Alex Land is just so much better than Bruno Fernando, it's not even funny. Um, but that was not the hu- that was not the only problem in this game. Obviously, there were many problems, but that was one that kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit. Um, Collins did make a couple of threes. to get They lead down to 17 very briefly in the third quarter, but um, the Bulls immediately fired off a 9-2 run to go back, back up by 24, and... Uh, that was kind of the end of that, frankly. Collins had 30 points out of the first 58 for the Hawks in this game, which tells you the story as well. Um, defensively, the third quarter was better. And the, really the second half, you know, garbage time aside, the defense was actually better in the second half. Um, for most of the, th- all of the third quarter, I would say, and most of the fourth before it got out of hand, the defense was actually pretty competitive. They only allowed a set, uh, sorry, 622 shooting in the third quarter from the Bulls with five turnovers. But the offense just kind of staggered. Um, it was uh, Collins had 14 points in the third, but as a team, the Hawks shot 7-23, and uh, pretty rough in a lot of, in, a, in a lot of respects there offensively. In the fourth quarter, a 12-2 run to open things up by the Bulls to go up by 28 points, and that ended any faint hope of the comeback. It was probably already over, but it was certainly over after it got, after the league got up to you know 28-30 points early in the third, early in the fourth. I should say, I should say. the Hawks used a Bruno Fernando at the four lineup with Alex Len. Granted, it was against Laurie Markkinen and Daniel Gafford, a pretty big lineup for the Bulls, but that was one that would, you know, you don't love to see that necessarily. Um, it didn't really matter at that point in time. Collins probably played longer than he should have in the fourth quarter. 
I think the Hawks were trying to try to get him to the career high mark, and I, I don't blame them for that because he was very good. It would have been nice to have him get a, a little bit of, of a reward in this game, but 34 is where he settled. The Hawks did not score a single point for about a five-minute period from the 709 mark to the 216 mark of the fourth quarter. Um, granted, it was garbage time, but it was a really ugly, sloppy offense. Brandon Goodwin finally hit a three with a uh, corner three, I should say, to break that break that drought, which was good to see from him. I thought he played okay when he played, and it was good to see him knock down a jump shot. But other than that, it was almost pure garbage time, and uh, there you go with that. So for the full game, the pace was relatively slow in the second half because of how ugly the game was, but the Hawks had an 82 offensive rating. That is absolutely awful. You know, for the season, the Hawks famously have like a 91, 92 offensive rating without Trey Young on the court, and that is just like all-time bad, like national attention bad about how bad it's been whenever Trey leaves the floor, and they were actually even worse in this game. The defense has been, you know, at its best this season, quote-unquote, without Trey Young on the floor, which makes some sense because Trey is bad defensively. Um, the, the Hawks have still, still not been good defensively, but they've been more like they've been like middle of the pack passable whenever Trey leaves the floor. But as you see in this game, the offensive contributions that Trey Young brings far outweigh the defensive issues that he brings, and the defense was not able to be saved in this game either. The first half was really, was really really bad, um, and for the full game, a 117 defensive rating that is bad. It's not like all-time Hawks bad. It's about where they actually land right now. It's a little bit worse, probably a couple points per 100 possessions worse than they normally are. But, you know, not... I would say the offense was the bigger problem in this game. I know people will point to the defense. Um, there were some bad moments defensively, particularly in the first half in transition, some bad effort moments, some bad execution moments, but the offense was the problem in this game for the most part, in my opinion, even though it was pretty bad on both ends of the floor. Okay, with that said, we'll come back with more on this game, and my apologies again for probably what's going to be a shorter podcast, but here we are. Uh, take a quick break, listen, for, listen to a word from our sponsors. We'll come back with the individual portion of the program. All right, we're back to talk about the individual players, and we're going to fly through this a little bit because, as I said before, basically only two guys had a good game in the spot. Off the bench, it was a mixed bag. I will say uh, guys like Damian Jones, Brandon Goodwin, Evan Turner, um, even Vince Carter did not play a ton in this game. Turner played four minutes. Lloyd Pierce said that in the second half, um, he did not just pull Turner for a play. He was apparently tweaking some injury, so Turner just couldn't play apparently in the second half. He was on the injury report with a hamstring, so that might have been it as well. And same for Chandler Parsons. They wanted to put Parsons in. He actually didn't play in this game, but Lloyd said in the postgame uh, press conference that Parsons had a knee had a knee thing and just actually wasn't able to go in. So keep that in mind for the future. Um, the guys who actually did play, Alan Crabb, DeAndre Bembry, and Alex Lynn off the bench. Uh, 22 minutes for Bembry. I thought he was, you know, okay for the most part. Gave good efforts to, effort defensively. Had some ugly offensive moments, to be sure, in typical uh, Bembry fashion. Alan Crabb, after a big night on Friday, was cool in this game. Two of eight from the floor, one of seven from three. And again, he's got to make shots, and he just didn't make shots. In this game, Vince Carter was 0-4 in his last game in Chicago, barring something crazy and like a trade or something like that. Uh, Vince is going to be, uh, that's going to be it for him. He was acknowledged, and rightly so, in Chicago, but he was not very good on the floor. Damian Jones was pretty quiet. His 11 minutes only took one shot. Defensively had some issues. Had Did have one nice steal, but that was it for him. Brandon Goodwin competed in this game. The shot finally went down for him, um, but didn't have a chance to... I was hoping we would see Brandon Goodwin in a competitive setting, in a spot where he was playing with some starters and all that stuff. It didn't really happen um, a little bit in the third quarter, but kind of was got into garbage time quickly. And then, as I said before, Alex Len was good. Um, he was the only guy other than John Collins that I would say was good. 
in this game, 4-4 from the floor, 2-2 two two from 3. Did miss all three of his free throws, which is not what you want to see, obviously. But 10 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists. He was by far the best defensive big man, aside from maybe Collins, in this game. Uh, he's just leaps and bounds better than Jones and Fernando. That is very clear, and I don't know why he's not playing more, but there you go on that. Um, to the starting lineup, um, the guys who I thought were just, ap- you know, let's, let's go to Bruno first, real quickly, get, get him out of the way. 14 minutes for Bruno Fernando. He was bad. Um, it's not a big surprise, Honestly, at this point in time, he's just overmatched. There are some flashes occasionally. Not in this game, though. He just was bad across the board. Um, he just shouldn't be starting in the NBA right now. And I know that's part of it's got to be development or whatever, but uh, Bruno just probably shouldn't be playing this much right now. And it's definitely development-focused, but he's overmatched. Um, on the wings, it was really bad. Uh, the, the duo of DeAndre Hunter and Kevin Herter uh, were both just really bad in this game. You know, those guys are guys I'm generally pretty positive about in the overall sense, but they were just terrible in this game, frankly. That's the only way to put it. Kevin Herter, 2 of 12 from the floor, 0 of 5 from two. Uh, sorry, from three-point range, 6 points, 4 assists, and a rebound. He was minus 28 in his 30 minutes of play. Uh, didn't play with any force defensively either. Just a rough, 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 bad game for Kevin Herter. Um, He's not been very good for most of this season, I would say, by his standards. It's not always been bad. He's had some nice flashes including earlier this week when he had a good offensive half, to be sure. Um, but for the season now, you know, Herter's numbers are not overly inspiring. Three-point shooting is, is fine in general, but just his overall force and effect on the game has not been as big as you would want it to be right now. Coming off the injury still, that's worth pointing out, but it was a bad night for Kevin Herter. Same goes for DeAndre Hunter. I thought Hunter was terrible on Friday. He was equally bad, I would say, in this game. Maybe even uh, worse in some respects. He was 2 of 9 from the floor. Did hit two threes. He was 2 of 4 from 3, but 0 of 5 from 2. 6 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists, and 4 turnovers. He was minus 29, the worst on the team. So, you know, if you come into a game without Trey Young, and I tell you that Hunter and Herter are going to go a combined 4 of 21 from the floor, you're just going to lose. You have no chance. I mean, as good as Collins was, he had to have some help in this spot. And, you know, for better or worse, the pressure offensively is going to transfer to Herter and Hunter probably the most in a game without Trey Young. And they're not equipped to do that necessarily right now as the primary options on, on the perimeter, but it was really bad from both those guys. There's no way around it. I don't like to be hyperbolic, but they were just bad in this game and it has to be acknowledged. And we'll get, you know, this doesn't mean that I'm bailing on them or that they're bad prospects or players, all that stuff. But in this game, they were not effective. Cam Reddish was uh, not great either, particularly offensively. I thought Cam was, uh, you know, kind of normal in the fact that he didn't finish well at the rim. He missed all three of his threes. There were some ugly moments, but there were some encouraging spots from Cam in this game. Six assists to lead the team, which is pretty encouraging. He's a couple nice passes from Reddish. He had two steals. I thought defensively he was much better than Hunter and Herter on the perimeter. And, um, you know, he was probably the best perimeter defender on the roster in this game. He might be the best perimeter defender right now on the team, um, just activity-wise. You know, Hunter has the physical strength advantage over Reddish, but Reddish has been, I think, better defensively for a couple of weeks now. Um, so just to point out there, I'm not saying he's a better prospect defensively, but Reddish has some nice tools there. I've always been high on his tools defensively, and uh, we saw a little bit of that, and a little bit of that in this game. You know, it's not to say that he was fantastic by any means, because the offense was uneven to be sure. But I thought Reddish was notably better, um, at least particularly against his baseline than the other two guys were in the starting lineup. And we'll end on a positive note because it was the only positive note really in this game. John Collins, 34 points, eight rebounds, two assists, a steal, and three block shots. 
He was 14 of 26 from the floor, 2 of 6 from 3, 4 of 4 from the free throw line. And if you just grab the John Collins from the second and third quarters and bottle that up, he would have an all-star level player. Um, John was fantastic early on in the season um, defensively. We saw a little bit of that in the, a little bit of that, of that in this game. He's not been quite as good defensively since, since he came back. Part of that's probably just rust and not playing basketball at full speed. But he had a couple of nice flash plays defensively in this game. And offensively, he was just everywhere. He was the only guy that was effective uh, as a primary option. Once the Hawks finally slowed down and started running stuff through him, in the second quarter, um, that was very helpful to the offense. You know, he's not necessarily um, capable of carrying an offense at a, at a high level right now, but given the options that the Hawks had available in this game, going through Collins was their best option offensively, and uh, for most of the middle portion of the game, it was their only quality offense that, that they were actually getting. So, shouts to John. He probably deserved to have his career high in this game. If he hadn't, um, you know, if, he, if the game had been more competitive in the fourth, he probably would have got it, or if he had started off a little bit hotter in the first quarter, he might have got it. But still, 34 points is 34 points. He was efficient, and he played very well here. Um, big picture stuff before we get out of here on this probably shortened podcast on a Saturday night. I understand why this is kind of a rough one, so there you go. Um, but the Hawks, after this game, um, play six straight playoff teams. Not what you want to see when you've lost 10 games in a row, but the Hawks now play, again, six projected playoff teams in a row. Um, to be fair, the easiest one on paper is probably Monday's game against Orlando. Um, Orlando is not great. It is on the road. Orlando is not capable, really, of too much offensive firepower, which levels the playing field a little bit. If Trey Young is able to play in this spot, that would help, obviously. We do not know that right now at this point in time. The only update today on Trey Young was from Sarah Spencer of the AJC, who talked to Lloyd Pierce before the game. And all Lloyd said was, and I'm quoting now, that it felt a little bit better today, end quote. That's all I got on that. I was not in Chicago, so there you go on that. Trey stayed behind. Uh, according to his social media, he was attending the Oklahoma game, which did not go well for Oklahoma. But... Um, We'll see if he's able to play on Monday. I don't know anything else. The injury report will come out on Sunday, as it always does. And I, I doubt the Hawks will be practicing because they have to travel back and they had a back-to-back. So we probably won't learn anything until Sunday's injury report. And if he's questionable or something like that, we'll learn more about that. He could be ruled out before then. But Monday in Orlando is next time the Hawks will play. And uh, if they don't have Troy Young, I can't imagine that they'll be, you know, they could win, obviously, but without Trey, it's just a struggle offensively. We saw that in this game. If the Hawks were nine and a half point underdogs against the Bulls, they probably would be similar against the Magic, even on, even on full rest without Trey Young. So that illustrates the kind of uphill battle that you're facing. If Trey plays, that game becomes more winnable. But after that, they play five more playoff teams in a row. So, you know, losing 10 in a row and 21 out of 23 speaks for itself. At the moment, the Hawks have quite easily the worst net rating in the NBA. They're minus 10.6 points per 100 possessions. According to NBA.com, that is, again, about a point and a half worse than anybody else in the league at this point in time. So through um, thir- through 33 games, you know, it doesn't give me any pleasure to say this out loud, but the Hawks have been the worst team in the league. Um, you know, 6-27, six and, six and 27, they have the worst record in the league, worst net rating in the league. I know they started out pretty positively, but since the win in Denver, they uh, have lost 21 out of 23 games. And it's just, you can't get around that. It's really bad. And uh, we'll see if they can right the ship. In the future, you know, I'm not in the mood or uh, in the place to discuss big picture stuff right now, but this game, just how it was right here, right now, was bad. It was expected to be bad, though. I thought they were going to get beat up pretty badly here, and they did. Um, Was it worse than I thought? Yeah, probably, because if John Collins doesn't play hero ball in a good way in this game and just kind of carry them, it would have been even worse. So, yeah, losing my 35 points to the Bulls is bad, and that's not breaking news. So, we'll end the podcast right there. Um, 
from a programming standpoint, I am planning to record a show after the game on Monday, and then I'll probably have one more in between Monday's game and Friday's game because the Hawks have another three-day break for the holiday for New Year's Day. They play Monday and then Friday, and I'm hoping to have a podcast for you uh, Tuesday morning and then another one probably Thursday morning, Wednesday morning, one of those. So stay tuned for all of that, and then we'll, of course, have our uh, follow-up coverage for next next weekend's game, which is another Friday, Saturday back-to-back, which is always a sports writer's dream, et cetera, et cetera. So thanks for listening, everybody. Please follow me on Twitter, at BT Roland, if you'd like to follow my content. Hopefully you can deal with some Brave stuff and some national NBA stuff, etc. But if you enjoy that, hop on board. Follow the show on Twitter as well, at Locked on Hawks. Please subscribe to the podcast via Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Overcast. I don't know. Find your favorite podcast player and check us out. Subscribe on that and download the podcast if you please. I really appreciate that. And we'll see everybody at the very, very latest on Monday evening.